0: Good morning. Welcome here. It's starting to feel like fall outside. That has me excited. I don't know how you feel about it, but uh, uh, I like fall, so I'm getting pretty excited about it. Um, several announcements in your bulletin. I'm just going to highlight uh, two. I'll, I'll let you read the rest, though, there is some good stuff in there. Um, First off, on the back, um, many of you are familiar with Dale Steingard, who was an accident and, and had a brain injury. And there is a community harvest that is getting organized for that. And so they need everything from combines to cooks and pretty much everything in between. And so if you have a combine or a cooking skill or <laughs> something in between, uh, there's some contact information there on, on, uh, on how you can be a part of that. Um, the other thing... I'm gonna pass this around. I'm gonna start over here again. Um, we're if you signed up for this last week, you don't have to fill it up again. Uh, sometimes we get prayer requests in the office, and people say, "Hey, can you send this out to your your prayer team or, or that kind of deal?" And um, so what we're doing is we're just putting together a list of would you like to receive those kind of prayer updates? Um, currently, we have the call them all, which we use just kind of for emergencies or, or big situations. Um, but we really don't have anything for just kind of someone saying, hey, I would appreciate some, some prayer about this, and you know, would you please forward it along. So um, if you're interested in being a part of that, you don't have to be. There's no like spiritual guilt here. If you're interested in being a part of that, um, then just put your name and your email uh, on that form, and we'll get taken care of. John is going to uh, talk to us a little bit about tonight.
1: Good morning. Uh, look forward to seeing you this evening. Um, we're having our annual business meeting at seven o'clock. We're going to talk about, uh, hear some reports from uh, uh, the past year, and do some looking forward to the coming year. As part of that process, we'll be looking at the uh, um, we'll be looking at the reports and also uh, the. Uh, financial, the proposed budget, you got a about like six pages of reports and budget proposal. I've summarized this to one sheet. So bring this, to <laughs> look this over, bring this tonight, trying to kind of uh, boil it down to the most important stuff. So that's on this page. The other thing I want to tell you about is, uh, some of you know Lynn Jost. Lynn Jost is a professor of Old Testament at the uh, seminary in Fresno. And he asked if we would help with a study that's come out of the Mennonite World Conference that was held this last uh, July in uh, Pennsylvania. And um, uh, there's a professor from uh, Goshen who is trying to get a survey of beliefs and practices of uh, Mennonites around the world. And the 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 responses to this survey have been very good from the rest of the world, but from North America, not very good. So anyway, <laughs> he asked whether we would help distribute some of these surveys. They need to be done within the next couple weeks. Um, if you are if you are um, you need to be eighteen and a member of the church. You will be. What we'll do is we'll send you an email. Uh, so if you get an email about the Global Mennonite Survey. That's this. So, um, if you are not a if you are not a um, internet person and don't want to do it on SurveyMonkey, I have some printed ones. It takes about I did it in twenty five minutes. So, give or take five or ten minutes, it takes about that amount of time to to fill that out. So, he needs them in the next couple couple of weeks. Also, Art Regeer's memorial is Tuesday. I'm not sure about the time. 10 o'clock at Metz. So if you're interested in that.
0: I read about one church that had a monthly business meeting. I thought, oh, Lord, have mercy. That'd be a hard one. Um, so annual business meeting is pretty manageable. Uh, we can do that. Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for another good day. Thank you uh, that we can come and worship you. Lord, I pray that you would help us just kind of leave the week behind us and worship you for who you are, what you've done, for your grace, for your mercy, and uh, just how beautiful and wonderful you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen. In the Bible, it says, The Lord my God lights up my darkness. You light a lamp for me. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. Also says, I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with, completely with joy and be keep, and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is our source of light. He is light. And he is our source of hope that's what we're going to worship him and praise him for this morning would you please stand with me feel free to raise your
2: hands feel free to kneel feel free to um, sit down when you need to just worship our god who's our hope and who's our life you are good you are good when there's nothing good in me you are love you are love on display for all to see. You are light, you are light. When the darkness closes in, you are hope, you are hope. You have covered all my sin. You are peace, you are peace. When my fear is crippling, you are true, you are true. In my wandering, you are joy. You are joy. You're the reason that I sing. You are life. You are life. In you, death has lost its sting. Thank you. will be our mission and our everything. We love you. May
0: Please join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to calm our spirits, our hearts, our minds before you this morning, Lord. There are things from this week that weigh us down, have us grieved, have us upset, or frustrated, or angry, or even are just distracting to us. And Lord, we just we take those and we lay those at your feet, Lord, and we say, "Here, you carry them." Holy Spirit, we want to ask you, is there any way that we have grieved you this last week? It's important to us. We want to be in right relationship with you. We understand that you love us, that you care for us, but we also recognize that our our sin grieves you. So we ask you, Lord, have we grieved you in some way this week? so, then, Lord, we, we repent, we, we apologize, we confess. We want to turn away from that. We want to make that right and be restored with you, Lord. Lord, we pray for our families, our immediate families, distant families our families would be a place where you are known, where you are taught, where you are worshipped, a place of health, of healing, of goodness, of abundant love, forgiveness. Lord, some parts of our family, immediate or extended, hurt. We ask for your presence there, Lord. We pray for our families. we pray for our community. pray for our our school and our government and our leaders and just as a community, as we do life together, what does it mean to do life together? How do we live in harmony? How do we do it in in a God-honoring way? So Lord, we pray for our community. Lord, we pray for our country, especially as we approach time of election. Lord, uh, we know that there are many sins that our country needs to repent for. I ask that you would lead us into that place of repentance. Start with us. Lord, with the upcoming election, we pray that men and women who fear you would be given influence. Lord, we pray for um, just other stuff around the world. Lord, there are brothers and sisters experiencing persecution. Uh, Lord, Europe is dealing with a a flood of migrants and how to extend peace and grace to them as well. Um, Yeah. Pray for the world around. Jesus, we pray for this morning as we open up your word, as we explore scripture, Lord, I pray that for each of us here that we would um, hear and experience and understand the thing it is that that you want us to, to hear and experience and understand, Lord, and your truth would be spoken, that freedom would reign in this place. We love you, Lord. Thanks, you guys. Well, we are working our way through Ephesians, having a great time with it. I am. Um, uh, We are in Ephesians 5 today. Uh, First part of Ephesians is all about identity. What does it mean to be seated in Christ? Second part of Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 what does it mean to walk in the world? It's very practical, very what does life look like on a day-to-day basis. And then, of course, the last part of Ephesians 6, a little bit of spiritual warfare. What does it mean to stand against the enemy? And so kind of our, our key words that we are, are using as we go through Ephesians are uh, sit or seated in Christ, walking in the world, and then standing against the enemy. Today we are in Ephesians 5. We are in um, verse 7. We'll go to the end of 21. A lot of material here. We could probably spend a couple weeks on it. We won't. Don't worry. We, we will try to get through this. Um, but let me just read this to you. You can read along or, or, the, the, um, or the words will be up on the screen. Um, verse, uh, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of the darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, "'Awake, O sleeper, arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you.'" "'Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time.'" Kind of two big picture concepts or, or, or themes for today. First of all is walking as children of light. What does that mean? We, we see this light imagery used a whole lot. And then secondly, the bulk of our time is going to be looking at this phrase, filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what does that mean? Uh, several years ago, um, back in the day, I worked at Cabela's. And uh, someone had given me a, a gift certificate for Cabela's. I don't, I don't know where I, I don't know, maybe my parents, I'm not sure. Um, and this, and so I bought this flashlight and it was, (laughs) I think I paid like $65 for it, which even now I'm like, really $65 for a flashlight? Um, Surefire was, I think had really just kind of come on the scene at the time. So this would have been like early 2000s. And from my recollection, they were the ones who really kind of, uh, kind of had the breakthroughs like with the really kind of super high powerful lights. Um, I don't know if you remember like pre- LED, like I mean, what an archaic time we lived in, right? I mean, uh, flashlight technology has just gotten so much better these days. Um, but so, I, and even this flashlight, this is the E2. They they after they made modifications after to it. Then, uh, so you can't even really get this model anymore. And it takes those funny batteries, those one, two, three batteries. Um, but tell you what, if it's dark in here, I can light up this whole room with this light. Uh, The other day there were a couple of cats Squawking and fighting in the backyard Open up the porch I lit up my whole backyard with this flashlight Um, I mean It'll only burn for like an hour or so It's a short runtime, And I don't know what kind of bulb it is It it wasn't LED Uh, LED I think was just kind of coming on the scene back then as well too And um, But it is It's a really bright light But what's interesting is Is that in here you really can't I mean you can sort of tell but not not really. I mean, it's it's really not that impressive in this environment. Um, one of the other lights that I, that I always carry with me, too, is just in my pocket. I just have one of these little LED lights, and uh, just kind of a red one. I mean, you know, you guys can see it from, from where it is. Um, I don't know if you've ever done these cave tours. You know, I mean, one of the things that they do at some point, just to mess with you, is that they turn off all the lights, and it just gets pitch black, right? I mean, you just cannot see... Hand in front of your face Just no light whatsoever Just total total darkness Well in that environment If I had this I could lead us out of that hole Right Because one of the key concepts When it comes to light Is that you also have to understand darkness And even though the, the lumens On this light doesn't change Kind of it's relative effect Or, or it's application to us is really affected by the extent of the darkness around us. Now, one of the other interesting things about darkness is that darkness is d- darkness is not Dar- darkness is empty, right? The, I have in my hands so, a little stick that shoots out a beam of light. I cannot create a little stick that shoots out a beam of darkness. Like you just you can't do that. I cannot go into a dark room, capture some darkness. You know, in a box, bring it in here, open it up, and we just watch the light dim, right? I mean, you mix hot and you mix cold water, you kind of get a middle ground. With light and darkness, there's just... I mean, when the light's on, light wins. I mean, there's no kind of like, this is the middle ground between you. I mean, the light wins. It's just... It's just there. And, you know, you know people like in poetry or songs or like in good stories, you know, they'll talk about creepy darkness or the heavy darkness or, you know, you know, and they have all these really poetic ways of describing darkness, which is great. It makes for a good novel, right? The scientists, though, will tell you that darkness doesn't creep, (laughs) right? The scientists will tell you you have light, you know, and that there's darkness is just darkness, okay? One of the things... (laughs) I mean, here Paul says that, that, you are, that you were darkness and you are light. He doesn't talk about your environment. He talks about you. He doesn't say that you were in a place of darkness, that you were surrounded by darkness and now you are surrounded by light. He says you were darkness. You are light. The other thing to understand in just kind of understanding yourself as light is, is, is the default condition of our world darkness or light? Is the default condition of our world bright light with just maybe kind of a few dark, creepy spots? Or is the default condition world of our world darkness with a few lights, with a few bright spots? And it's not very politically correct, but if you actually look throughout Scripture, Scripture refers to the world... As a dark place. Jesus himself refers to Satan as prince of the earth, prince of the air. First um, John says that we are light, but that the whole world is under the control of, of the evil one. Here it talks about we were darkness. And so it's, if I were to say that, you know, you guys are kind of like that flashlight. To really understand it, I would have to make pitch black in here. For you guys to truly understand what it means... that you guys, I keep shining it up because I don't want to shine it like this... Because that that, could, that is still enough bright to kind of hurt the eyes. Um, uh, for you guys to understand yourselves as light... You really have to have a biblical worldview of the world and what it means. And in some places you see lots of light gathered in one place and that's remarkable. But the most amazing places where your light will shine... Is really when you go to the darkest places. Lots of good missional talks out of that one. I won't go there, but just saying it's been done. (laughs) Light. Paul opens this phrase, he says, Do not become partners with them. I do want to touch on that. Paul is not advocating for some kind of exclusion mentality. Uh, Look in the verses prior We're we're talking about a sinful behavior Specifically he names uh, I think it's uh, covetousness Fun word, means greed Uh, Impurity, kind of a generic term for all kinds of sins And then sexual immorality Which is pretty self-explanatory So with that context he says Therefore do not become partners with them He does not say do not associate with He says do not become partners Partners is a much deeper It's a much more involved word It means that you're sharing possessions that you're sharing relationships, okay? Um, so what he's saying is do not partner in, in, in this deep engagement of serious sins. But if we look throughout Scripture, we say that we do associate with non-believers, We do associate with those in pain. We do associate with, with you know, people who may be sinning and that kind of thing, all right? So this is not an exclusion mentality. This is talking about partnership, with, which is just such a much uh, deeper word. Light and darkness. I once did a word study on on light and darkness uh, for a a Bible study. It was was kind of interesting. In the Old Testament, you will often see God hiding himself in darkness. Uh, When the Israelites were walking through the desert and they stopped at Mount Sinai and they met with God, God showed up on the top of the mountain, but he hid himself in darkness. It talks about thunder and lightning and People step on the mountain; they get killed, and that kind of thing. Uh, Psalm eighteen, I believe, talks about God hiding Himself in darkness. Old Testament, pre, pre-Jesus, pre-Holy Spirit, we see a God who's inaccessible. New Testament, we have a God who's accessible, so much more so. Um, even I think it's the book of Hebrews twelve has an amazing comparison between uh, the Mount of Sinai covered in darkness in the Old Testament and the Mount of Prayer that we get in the New Testament. But in the New Testament, light and darkness becomes analogies uh, where darkness is representative of, especially in Ephesians, darkness represents ignorance, error, evil, and light represents truth, knowledge, holiness, um, and all kinds of wonderful things. Light and dark. The first section I, I want to move pretty uh, through pretty quickly though. Uh, there is one more phrase. Uh, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Once again, referring to just our current environment as, as a dark place. Uh, wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is, boy, you could you could study that one a lot. It's it's a fantastic word. Here is just kind of my current operational. Uh, understanding of wisdom, and this is how how I work with it. Wisdom is a good decision based on God's perspective. Common sense is a good decision based on man's perspective. Sometimes the two will overlap. Sometimes they won't. For you to not play with matches while you're filling the car with gas, this is good common sense. The world will look at that and say you shouldn't do that. I would say that's good wisdom, that God is going to look at that and say, yeah, you shouldn't do that. To take 10% of your income and give it to a nonprofit organization, that is not good common sense. That's horrible common sense. But according to God, it's wisdom, it's a good decision. For you to say, you know what, for my vacation time, I feel like doing a mission trip in Honduras or the Middle East or wherever. Not good common sense. The world is going to look at that and say no. That is not a good decision. But God. Assuming he wanted you to do that. He's um, going to say yeah. That's good wisdom. That's a good decision based on my perspective. So wisdom. A good decision based on God's perspective. Versus common sense. A good decision based on the world's perspective. Sometimes they overlap. Sometimes they diverge. And what's can be difficult is that if you are making a good, wise decision, but you have a lot of family or friends who are looking at your decision from that earthly perspective, from that common sense perspective, they will look at your decision, they will challenge you on it, they will say that's wrong to do, and they will try to divert you away from it. And it is a very difficult thing when family and close friends gather around you and say, Bad common sense. And for you to hold firm and say, yeah, but this is what God wants me to do. Verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Debauchery. We're having just so much fun with just the best words these days. Uh, I had to look that one up. Uh, Debauchery is just excessive, like, drugs, alcohol, sex. uh, So the 60s, I don't... I'm told. I wasn't there. But um, anyways, that's debauchery if you're wondering what that is. Do not get drunk on wine. That's kind of out of left field. Like we're going through this stuff and then suddenly he, he names that. Um, it's true. You shouldn't get drunk on wine. You, you, you shouldn't do that. I think the big thing, though, that he's doing here is that he's trying to create a comparison. That He's, he's trying to say, all right, what is it that was bad but that they understood— that I can then use as a comparison to understand what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, I think, he, I, I think he used alcohol as just kind of that comparison. What does it mean when there is something just in your system that just influences how you think, how you behave, how you act, uh, what you do, that kind of thing. And so it gives kind of this negative, positive contrast. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, filled is an interesting word. I, if I were to say that so-and-so is filled with grief, then you would understand that grief is a large part of their world. That, that it affects their perspective. That, that it uh, uh, affects their attitude and their emotions and their decisions. But you would still assume that That the person is still under the control of their own actions. They are are not being remote controlled by grief. I mean, their world is filled with grief. But there's still an element of control. Uh, The grief dominates their thinking, but it doesn't control their actions. I make this distinction because some of the stories that get circulated about charismatic circles or Pentecostal circles doing weird things. And sometimes they are weird. Like the half a dozen people on stage flopping their arms like birds. I still don't know what was going on there. But stuff that gets done, kind of weird things, but it's done under the banner of being filled with the Holy Spirit. I think some, that for some of us, it has turned us off to the notion of what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we say, if being filled with the Holy Spirit means I do weird things, like stand on stage and flap my arms, then you know what I'm going to pass. Paul actually goes through and outlines what he means by filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's where that's where we're going to spend a little bit more time here. Um, first, also First Corinthians 14 has a very powerful verse in there, but but it articulates that there is no expression of the Holy Spirit that takes over where you no longer have control of your actions. At all times you still have control of your actions. Okay? No expression of the Holy Spirit just takes you over and you just you're you're you just you have no choice in the matter. Okay. My I am not a grammar guy at all. Grammar was not my thing. It remains not my thing. I just I was better with the numbers. Or with other stuff, but the grammar, me, not so good. Um, So on this one, my deep thanks to to the commentaries, because they're talking about things like middle voice and participles. I didn't even look that one up, but apparently that's a thing, grammar, uh, these kinds of things. So if you look at the grammar, according to my commentaries, which I'm trusting, how how Paul broke this down is that you have this one main verb filled with Holy Spirit. And then you have, I think they were participles, four or five that Paul uses to describe what that looks like. And here's what he says. He says, and all, grammatically these are all linked. He says, one, you speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So the, the speak is, is one of these ones. Sing and make music. Some people count that as one. Some people count it as two. Uh, In your heart to the Lord. Uh, Give thanks to the Father for everything and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. A couple things I would point out right away, kind of before we go through this in detail. One is, notice the presence of music. Music has has just a dominant place in this description and what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Secondly, notice the presence of gratitude in this list of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, notice how he covers all parts of our being. He, He... He addresses our spoken word, he addresses our heart, and frankly, he addresses our attitude, or our mind, as well. Okay, he begins with addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So that's the first example that that Paul uses, being linked back to filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Psalms were like the Old Testament psalms, they were sung with uh, stringed instruments, Hymns were just the contemporary praise music of the day. And spiritual songs is just a general term for spiritual songs. Um, This, we, church is not, this is not like a Broadway musical, okay? This is not, you ask me how my day and I like sing you a response kind of type thing. The command is that we address one another, but the content is psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. I've had people, you know, send me like a, a Facebook link or, or an email link, and they're like, you know, here's a here's a worship video that I thought of you. Here, you know, here th- this would be the the hymn, powerful. I've had people, you know, say, hey, you know, I was doing my life journaling, my my Bible reading, thought of you. Here's here's a passage of scripture, you know, thinking of you. They address me in in Psalms. They address me in Scripture powerful, it's impactful. I savor those. Um, you know, people say, here's a, here's a written note, here's a verse I thought of you for today. Whenever I do a pastoral visit, I always go with my Bible in my pocket and a piece of scripture in my mind to share with that person. Because we address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And actually, when you do this, when you address one another in psalms, Uh, hymns, spiritual songs, I believe that in accordance with 1 Corinthians 14, you are actually doing one expression of the gift of prophecy. Because prophecy, New Testament version, is strengthening, encouragement, and comfort of others. Secondly, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart. So here we are singing, but the context is your heart. In your heart, in your mind, do you worship the Lord? What is it that you fill your mind with? What thoughts go through your head? Uh, I mean, who doesn't love listening to the little kids sing VBS songs weeks after or months after, you know, the, the program? Songs are powerful. They can get stuck in your head for a long time. Uh, Richard Foster, who, who's written a, a couple of books but, and done some other stuff, but uh, they had gone away to some cabin for a while, and this was kind of before the days of iPod. Uh, ipads that kind of thing um there was a record player but the only record was for the musical oklahoma so for like two weeks all they did was listen to the musical oklahoma well imagine what went through their head for about the next six months right i mean i won't sing it but you guys already are in your heads Uh, what you fill your mind with influences you and it can just get stuck there right on on repeat it's pretty powerful the passage says, "Make melody with your heart." I. It seems to me that in, in today's culture, that we that we see a slight divergence between our understanding of what it means when we say heart, and what does Scripture mean when Scripture talks about the heart. Our contemporary use of the word heart today is predominantly. Dominated by it with the feminine understanding and the feminine usage of that word, women will talk about their heart. They'll talk about guarding their heart. They'll talk about revealing their heart. I mean, men, men just never talk about their heart unless it's like a medical condition or they're singing with Bon Jovi or something like that. But men just don't talk about their heart, right? Um, Maybe if they've been schooled in a lot of Christianese, maybe they'll incorporate it a little bit. But for the most part, not, not really. And it seems that today's usage has really shifted where it, the, the heart is viewed as the inner seat of our deepest emotions. Uh, we view it as kind of that private, guarded core of your being, and that if you open up your heart, then you're revealing kind of your most secret thoughts and feelings. Heart in Scripture is more linked to that place from which decisions are made. Uh, It is it is the command center. It's the headquarters. It's it's the captain seat. It's the wellspring um, It's the headwaters It is the core from which all life and thought and decisions flow and are made So when jesus says that he wants to be lord of your heart It's not so much that he wants access to your emotions, which he does But he actually wants something more to that the part of you that is in control jesus wants to be lord of that Jesus wants to sit in the captain's chair, which would include emotions, but not just be kind of Lord of your emotions, all right? Whatever part of you that's in control, that makes decisions, that governs the rest of your being, that is where Jesus wants to be Lord, and that is where we are to make music. That is where we are to sing. Um, We are to sing from the core of our being. From that, from that captain's chair, from the very essence of, of who we are, the headwaters of your thart, thought and your consciousness. That is where worship emanates from. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, you know what I'm thankful for? There's a number of things I'm thankful for. I am thankful, this has just been on my mind a lot lately, I am thankful that my daughter gets to go to school. I mean, I know that we have discussions about band programs and extracurricular activities and recess and all this other kinds of stuff, playground equipment. The thing that I am thrilled about is that my daughter gets to go to school. I have been in places where school is not a good option or it's not a common option. I have seen children working in fields, young children who should have been in school. There are places where girls don't get education. I am thrilled, almost emotional at times, that my daughter gets to go to school. That she gets to learn math. That she gets to learn reading and the alphabet. That it's a safe environment. That it's a nurturing environment. I mean, if you want to complain to me about band programs and whatever else, you're welcome to. I'll probably just think you're shallow, but I'll think it. I probably won't say it. I am thrilled my daughter gets to go to school. And I i mean, extracurricular activities are great. I did a lot of them. Sometimes I think college, I just majored in extracurricular activities. I'm not sure that was the best. Big fan of of undergrads, graduate degrees, getting your masters, that kind of thing. Very important. Highly, um, yeah. You should all do that as well too. But the thing I'm thankful for today is that my daughter gets to go to school. And there's a lot of other stuff too. I'm thankful for microwaves. I'm thankful for LED lights. I'm thankful that I can drive to York and I don't have to walk to York because I mean it may be good for my fitness, but that would just be kind of lame. Um, I mean, so there is, I'm thankful I can fly across the country in a day that I have a warm, dry house. Uh, I'm thankful for great parents, for a good upbringing. Lots to be thankful for. Jim Collins is is an author. He wrote a book, Good to Great, in one of his public speaking things. I don't remember what led up to this. But he told people, you know, you need to count your blessings. He said, no, really, you need to go home and you need to make a list and you need to work on it until you hit 100. I did that once, so it was kind of interesting. Going into it is like, pfft, of course I'll be able to hit 100. I mean, you break it down into 10 categories, 10, 10 lines under each 10 category. It's not that hard. And yet, how remarkable that you can crank out a list of 100 blessings with really not much effort. I mean, is that is that not amazing? Thankfulness, attitude of uh, just a grateful attitude. Last one, submitting to one another out of reference of Christ. So the, the, the fourth sign of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that we submit to one another out of reference, out of reverence for Christ. Uh, interestingly, some translations will say out of fear for Christ. This is the only place in the New Testament, all the New Testament, where um, fear of Christ gets named. Other places it'll talk about fear of God, this is the only place, fear of Christ. This little verse is hugely popular, highly controversial. Because this verse sits at a, a very contemporary debate, and somewhat massive debate, about the roles of husbands and wives in the home. Because the very next verse is the one that says hus- you know, wives are to submit to their husbands. So, we'll, we'll save that for next week. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, I'll try to just stick to these words in, in, in this verse. Uh, And once again, going back to grammar to just kind of understand what's going on here. Um, First off, definitions. Um, The word submit, uh, the Greek word is hypotosal, and it literally means to arrange under. Um, It regularly functioned to describe the submission of someone in an ordered array to another person who was above the first in some way. For example, the submission of soldiers in an army to those of superior rank. Um, Paul himself uses the word hypotasso 23 times in his writings throughout the New Testament. You see it used about 40 times. Um, uh, as, we, okay, um, as we've talked about already, grammatically submit is actually linked to the verb filled earlier on. So according to the grammar, submitting to each other is an expression of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason this is important is because this means that this is actually something that applies to the entire church. This is not just a a segue or, or an entryway into wives and husbands. Okay, Grammatically, he is saying that submission to one another is something that takes place in the entire church, and it's one of the expressions of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Another important grammar aspect on this. Uh, the verb hippotasso, it's a very strong word. It often means to, to subject or to subordinate. Um, it's, uh, and when it's used in the active voice, grammar people, you're probably getting all giddy right now. Uh, when it's used in the active voice, it means that the person has the authority or power to force the other party to submit. However, in this verse, Paul uses the middle voice, signifying that the submission is voluntary. Meaning that to be filled with the Holy Spirit does not mean that we force submission of others, but rather that we voluntarily submit to the authority that is over us. And if I remember correctly, and I am just kind of going here from memory, the only time where you actually see in Scripture where the person in authority actually engages in the forceful submission of others is that when you have God... Engaging, you know, kind of like end-time submission of the world, that kind of thing. Or when you have Christians, um, when demons submit to Christians. Whenever you have the interpersonal submission in Scripture, it's, once again, going from memory here, it's that middle voice, it's that voluntary submission. Uh, So submission literally means to arrange yourselves under authority in an orderly fashion. Uh, Submission is linked to all Christians And it's something we voluntarily do. It's not something we force upon others. Okay, next grammar point. Um, The other key phrase in this is one to another. Greek word on this is uh, alion. Sometimes one another is fully reciprocal, meaning everyone to everyone. Sometimes one to another is not fully reciprocal, and it means some to others. For example... How are we doing? You guys still hanging with me? All right, this is exciting stuff. John 13, 34. We need to understand the details so we can understand the big picture. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, for you also are to love one another. Fully reciprocal, everyone is to love everyone. Just big fuzzy community like that. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So we're all members, everyone connected to everyone, fully reciprocal. Sometimes it's not fully reciprocal, some to others. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. When it says that the angels said to one another, it's not that every shepherd turned and said to every other shepherd, let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing, which the Lord has let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing. Let you know, they didn't just go around in a circle and all do this. You had some saying to others, hey, let's head into town. Um, Revelation 6.4, And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people should slay one another, and he was given a great sword. Not all men killed all men. Like you didn't have one guy kill everybody, and then they come back to the dead, and then it's the next guy's turn. It was some to others. Some slayed others. So sometimes one another is fully reciprocal, everyone to everyone, and sometimes it's not kind of depends upon the context and from what i understand there's no grammatical cues on that it's just the context so here's the question when scripture says that we are submit to one another out of reverence for christ is paul saying that voluntarily i want everyone to submit to everyone in everything and that includes wives to husbands or is he saying voluntarily I want some of you to submit to others in an orderly fashion for example wives you should also submit to your own husbands okay well we'll deal with that next week um, moving on we're not going to answer that one now. submission what does submission look like though within the kingdom of God? I believe that that, that in God's kingdom, God does not give authority until He first sees that you have learned to be under authority. I, I, I believe that that firmly. Um, this is something that that I don't think my generation understands as well as uh, a lot of you for your generation. Uh, my generation is just. Um, yeah, not as impressed by authority. Um, generations ahead of me are more likely to respect an individual based on role, based on position. My generation has a hard time on that. Uh, incidentally, children who have never learned authority at home uh, are at a severe disadvantage, both in the world and in the kingdom. Um, Paul has kind of, both Paul and Jesus kind of have an unusual Regard for the position held even if the guy who holds the position is not a good guy. In Acts 24, Paul has been arrested again for something. i probably opening his mouth. Uh, Paul is arrested. He is asked a question. He responds to the question. The high priest orders that Paul be hit in the face. Um, Paul then apparently gets a little sassy and he says, verse 3, Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall.'" I know, slanderous, isn't it? Whitewashed wall. Wow, that's just, I'm blushing already. I don't even know what that means. So apparently this is an insult. Um, Then this happens. Those who stood by him, or or stood by Saul, said, Would you reveal God's high priest? Now this is where it gets weird, because Paul almost takes an apologetic tone because he did not realize the position the man held. Uh, Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was a high priest. For it is written, You shall not speak evil of your ruler. Whatever realm you work in, you can find bosses who are great, and you can find bosses who are not great. That's pretty easy to, to identify. And, but within the Christian living, there is a certain extent to which we still honor the person for the position, even if the person who holds it is not that great of a person. Band of Brothers has the most fantastic phrase to summarize this concept. Um, Band of Brothers was a movie. Um, there's a, a scene where one of the, the guys who was their drill sergeant, very cruel, uh, very cruel man, um, and then you have another character, Winters. That not that was his name. As the story progresses, Winters advances in rank beyond their drill sergeant. So later on in the story, these two men meet. And the drill sergeant, who's embarrassed or something like that, pretends to not see Winters so that he wouldn't have to salute him because he now holds a superior rank. Winters calls for his attention, and when he looks at him, Winters tells him, we salute the rank, not the man. And so then the guy responds, and they salute, and they move on. That phrase has helped me understand submission in so many ways, and I get that there is bad authority, and I get that there are times where you need to step out from that authority. I mean, what do you do when the well, when when the husband, when the parent, when the employer, when the government is evil and doing bad things? Um, there's there's I mean. There are ways that we step out from that, right? I mean, if the guy's abusive, you leave. That's just, there's nothing scriptural in staying, okay? You know, I I get that. But somehow, still, we blend in that salute the rank, not the man. Because for some reason, in God's kingdom, this is important. Um, Within church stuff, you know, recently I've been talking to uh, people about being different team leaders of different team ministries, For a couple of them, I have had conversations who are not church members. And I said, look, you know, I would be interested in you having, you know, serving in this role as team leader. But first, I need you to become a church member for two reasons. Church member conveys a lot when you commit to church membership. Two of the relevant things as it pertains to this discussion, though. One is it conveys commitment to the local body. But two, it conveys that you are willing to submit to the, to the church leadership authority. I will not give authority until I see in a person's life that they have learned to come under authority and that they are willing to publicly express that they are under authority. Um, in Trek, we encounter this all the time. But if someone isn't a good follower first, they're not going to make a good, a good leader. And, you know, some people may look at our leadership model here at our government, at our our governance system and say, you know, pastor has so much authority. Oh, friends, pastor is under so much authority. I don't know why I'm talking in third person, but I am. Um, I have to answer to people and organizations that that none of you have to answer to. There are, are laws that confine me that do not apply to you. There are conference rules and regulations that apply to me that do not apply to you. There are local church, governing board, rules, regulations, expectations that apply to me that do not apply to you. There are verses in Scripture that say, I will be judged more harshly because of my position than, than the rest of you. So pray for your pastor. He's under a lot of authority. He needs a lot of help. In our human relationships, submission is not uh, submission to authority is not an absolute. But it is voluntary, and it's done out of respect for Jesus Christ. You are light. You are children of light. You work, you live, you operate in an environment of darkness. And, and, and you will probably never understand the full magnitude of you being light un- until God shows you that in heaven. We live in dark times, but by the grace of God, you are light. Live wise. Make your decision based on God's perspective, not yours. And understand that to be filled with the Holy Spirit means that we address one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. It means that we sing, that we make music to the Lord in our heart, in the core of our being. It means that we give thanks always and for everything to God the Father, that, that we have a very, uh, 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 just an. Uh, a, Um, gratitude is very much a a part of who we are and that we voluntarily to submit to one another whatever that means and however that applies out of reverence for Christ Amen Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, for truth, for scripture God, hopefully we have done it justice this morning Lord, I pray that for each one here uh, whatever part of this uh, is most applicable to them and where they are at, Lord, that you would just minister to them throughout the week Maybe it's simply understanding what it means to be light in this world. Maybe it's readjusting that attitude and and having an attitude of graciousness. Maybe there is a relationship somewhere um, where there needs to be voluntary biblical submission, kind of whatever that that looks like in their life, Lord. Um, God, we want to honor you. We want to praise you. We want to do our life the way that you want us to do life. And uh, we... Uh, We want to be full stewards of all that you have entrusted into our care. Lord, one day all of us will stand before you. And Lord, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in all that I entrusted to your care. We love you and we worship you. Amen.
2: Let's respond by standing and singing. and let's for Broken, but you make us whole. We come to you, Jesus. We surrender and lift our hands to you and say, Yes. You are.